All right, some uh, movie trivia time or movie lines. Let's see if you know the lines to this movie. I'm going to start the first part of it. And if you know the movie and know the phrase, you can finish the whole sentence, all right? My name is Inigo Montoya. I can't kill your father. I can't kill you killed my father, prepare to die, right? So that's the line from Princess Bride. When I was in college, I had a good friend of mine who every year uh, when we would finish our semester and come home for the summer, we would, and this is a VHS days, we'd pop in that VHS tape and all of our friends and all that, we'd gather together and get pizza and popcorn and watch The Princess Bride. And I don't know if you know this, but The Princess Bride is a type or genre or category of movie known as revenge movies, revenge movies. And those movies have become very popular, like in more recent times, it's movies like The Equalizer, one and two with Denzel Washington or Kill Bill, uh, but also can include movies like uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales, True Grit, the original one, or even the one that came out in 2010, or Big Fat Liar is another one, and let me see, I think Kill Bill, um, and Waiting to Exhale is another one, and Shawshank Redemption is another classic revenge movie. And the reason why I think we love watching revenge movies is because if we're honest with ourselves, all of us in our lives have been hurt or offended by somebody, and we want to get back at them. And we fantasize and dream about it. And those fantasies and dreams come true in those movies because the people who say, I'm going to get back at the person who killed my father gets back at the person who killed their father. And we feel a sense of satisfaction. And so today we're going to look at what does God want us to do if Jesus is our king and we're committed to him? What does he want us to do when we're hurt by people? What does he want us to do? What should be our response? So if you have your Bible, look at Matthew 5, verse 38. Does God want us to enact revenge? Does God want us to enact revenge? When we are hurt by people, does God want us to hurt people back? When we're hurt by people, does God want us to hurt people back? So Matthew chapter, 30, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Reads this way. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So let me explain those verses in our hearing. Uh, so the first section I'm going to look at is this verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is probably one of the most famous lines that all of us have heard somewhere or another. And that is known as lex talionis, the Latin word for the law of retaliation by which all of uh, modern law and justice is founded on. An eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. The reference is found three times in the Old Testament. In Exodus 21, in Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. I'll repeat that again. Exodus 21, which is now entering into the civil law. Uh, Leviticus 24, again, civil law. And Deuteronomy 19, which is again the civil law. And so what the Pharisees did was they took the civil law, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, and they began to milk it for all it's worth, which we're going to look at here in a second. And so lex talionis, the law of taliation, had a twofold purpose. The first thing is this, is that it would hopefully limit wrongdoing and evil. So people would know, hey, if I do something wrong, if I commit a crime, if I injure somebody, there's a consequence. Every choice I make has a consequence, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
On the other side, let's say you are, you and I are the wrongdoers. We're the one that hurts somebody or steals something or does something to harm somebody. We'll also know that the punishment for our crime will never exceed our crime. So if we're, uh, let's say, borrow $5 from a coworker at, at work and, hey, we don't have money for lunch, can I borrow 10 bucks, and you forget to pay it back, right? You're not going to get the death sentence for forgetting to pay back $10. So the, the punishment should never be more than the offense or the crime. So it was both to limit uh, people doing evil in our world because they know there's consequences, but if you're the offender, the one that's hurt somebody or offended somebody, you would also know that there's some mercy there, that you would never be punished greater than the crime that you've committed. That is lex talionis. And the reason why I believe there's so much outrage in our society today, because very often it seems like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Either the punishment is far less or far greater. And all of us have heard examples of that in the news of recent. Um, but one I remember particularly is, if you remember a few years ago, there's that teenager from Fort Worth. He was in his truck with a bunch of friends sitting in the back, and he was drunk, lost control, got in an accident. Four of the uh, students in the back got killed. Nine got injured. And so during his court hearing, for, uh, he was indicted on intoxication manslaughter. His lawyers argued that this young man had grown up very wealthy with no boundaries, no consequences, and he suffered from this disease known as not influenza, the flu, but affluenza. And because he suffered from affluenza and had never been taught about consequences and limits and boundaries, they gave him 10 years of probation for involuntary manslaughter, for intoxication manslaughter. And the public was outraged that that would happen. And again, so we see occurrences like that because it should be not a slap on the wrist for an eye, not a reprimand for a tooth, but an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that is known as lex talionis. Here's the thing. For those of you who wonder about justice in our world, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 16 and 17 says this, that God gets his justice. If you are looking at our world and look at people who are getting away with things, Ecclesiastes 3, 16 and 17 basically tells us God will get his justice, whether in this life or the life to come. And here's the thing. No one ever gets away with anything. No one ever gets away with anything. So be reassured of that. But here's what the Pharisees did, and here's what we do. Here's this. They took an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as God's green light, permission. Uh, let me mention point one. I forget for the note takers. One is this. The law of taliation, punishment should be in proportion to, not greater than the crime. The law of taliation is punishment should be in proportion to, not greater than the crime. Here's point number two. But the civil law of retaliation is not a green light to seek personal vengeance. The civil law of an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Again, it was civil because it was meant for a civil society, not for an individual. Became, I'm sorry, is not a green light for retaliation or revenge. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And this is why that happens. All of us in here, regardless of our age, ethnicity, political persuasion, we're all created in the image of God, the imago Dei. And because we're created in the image of God and God is a just God, we have an innate sense of justice. That's why when we see something wrong happens, we say that's wrong. Something right happens, that's right. Something happens to us, we have an innate sense of justice. But because we're broken, sinful people, we pervert that innate sense of justice and it goes from justice to now revenge. When we hurt because somebody hurt us, now we want somebody to feel our pain. When we're broken and, and, and dismayed, we want somebody else to be broken and dismayed. When we have an eye poked out, we want to poke somebody else's eye out. And that is vengeance because of our brokenness. And what the Pharisees were doing is saying, the Bible says 
an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so if you do something to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. If you punch me, I'm going to punch you. If you hurt my kid, I'm going to hurt you, kid. And they're using it as a green light from God to seek personal vengeance. That's what they're doing. And this is what Jesus is now saying. As a kingdom citizen, though you may feel that way, don't do that. Um, many years ago, uh, I, I love pastoring and seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and especially people that you would least expect to come to faith in Christ. And when I pastored many years ago, there were two guys in our church who, before they got saved, were like big barroom brawlers, always getting in fights, um, both top-rated like football players as well, like big burly guys. One guy was training for the world's strongest man, big burly guys. They started coming to our church. And I remember after our worship gathering, we shared prayer requests. And so one day, a member of our church who owned his own blinds business, so he hung blinds and homes, he said, hey, can y'all pray for me? Um, I've got this client who I put in blinds in their house, and they owe me like $1,000, $1,200. They haven't paid me yet, and I keep calling them and going to their house, and they won't pay me. And so two of, the, two of these guys, these two barely saved guys, rather than saying, hey, we'll pray for you. Let's pray that God would you know, work it out, and you'll get your money and all that. Both these guys said, where do they live? And I was like, hey, hey, guys, guys, we don't need that. Like, we don't need you to go and exercise your own personal vendetta and go collect this money. But that is, if we're honest with ourselves, our natural inclination to take matters into our own hands when we have been wrong. So again, they took the civil and made it personal. And we've got to separate those two because it's easy for us to go from having a sense of justice to now moving to a sense of vengeance because it gets perverted. Um, and that's happened to me, and hopefully you all will be patient with me. Um, I was coming back from our worship gathering. Uh, we had just moved to Houston. We were coming back to our apartment, and literally a block, half a block from our apartment, I'm sitting there at the light, or at the stop sign, and I get rear-ended. It's me and my daughter. And so I get out, and the young lady's like, oh, I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at my phone. Sorry about that. I look, and there's a couple scratches on my bumper. And she said this, and you've heard this story before. I, I just forgot to pay my insurance like a week ago, so right now I don't have insurance, so here's the deal. You can take your car to the repair shop, whatever they quote you, I'll pay you in cash or a check. And here's my phone number, here's my name, go for it. And I said, great, 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 I'll give you a call. So then I go to the auto repair shop later that uh, week, they give me an estimate like $700 for the repair. So I call up and I said, hey, this is a guy that you hit a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago right outside the apartment. Got the quote, $780. She's like, what? Started cussing, I ain't paying that, whatever, whatever. And I said, but you agreed. Uh, you said, I don't have insurance. And I agreed. I wouldn't call the police if you'd pay this thing. I ain't paying that. Click, hung up on me. And so then I had her name. And so um, I Googled it. Came up, she had a warrant for arrest in Beaumont because she was driving without insurance. So this is something that she was doing. So I called the police and I said, hey, police officer, uh, three days ago I got rear-ended by this young lady. She said she hadn't paid her insurance. And so I said, hey, what do I do? And he said, well, there's nothing you could do now because you've left the scene of the accident. So you can try to take it to small claims court, but you're going to waste more time and money doing that anyway. If I were you, I would just let it go. So I let it go. But here's the kicker. She lived in the same apartment complex as us. And I'd see her car like every day. So I'd go for a run and I'd come back and I'd see like her car, her little black Maxima sitting there all shiny and stuff. And I was like, man, and I would see like a loose rock or something. I said, I could take this rock right here. And I usually run early in the morning before anybody was up, totally dark. And I was like, I could just so 
run off, get home, and no one would know. That would cost her probably at least $700 a repair, right? You took my bumper, I'm going to take your windshield, right? And that's our natural sense of vengeance. When people hurt us, we want them to hurt back. Again, because we have justice, but we pervert it into what we call vengeance. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. Lex talionis, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you are hurt by somebody, if you're being abused, if you're being taken advantage of at work, if you're being uh, uh, experiencing racism at work, don't just sit there and take it. That's not what he's talking about. He says, talk to HR, call the police, report the accident, file a claim with your insurance. Do all the proper things you're supposed to do under authority, but don't take things in your own hand. Ultimately, you trust God. Uh, turn to Romans 12. We've got time. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 14. Romans 12. If you're a kingdom citizen, if you say, Jesus is my king, if you say, I have a, a radical commitment and focus on Jesus, Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Verse 17. And this is why the sermon is called the sermon no one wants to hear part one. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. It's possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, point number two, the civil law retaliation is not a green light to seek personal vengeance. And as kingdom citizens, when we're wrong, yes, seek the civil authorities, but when it comes to personal vengeance, he says, don't do that. Leave room for the wrath of God. You ultimately trust God as one in authority and God will take care of things. As a chaplain for the Rockets, uh, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it's both the home team and the away team. And since a lot of times the away team, coaches and players will come to chapel, I've gotten to know some of the players around the league. And last season, something bothered me so much. I was watching the highlights of a game and a player who comes to chapel all the time on a West Coast team, and a player who comes to chapel all the time on an East Coast team, they're playing each other. These two Christian players got in a fight in the middle of a game. And I'm like, you guys are brothers. You guys are Christians. Your teammates know that you all are Christians and claim to love Jesus Christ and follow him. Stop fighting. And this is what the NBA has set up. If you've been fouled, if you've been hurt, if you've been offended, the NBA has set up a structure of authority. If you've been fouled, rather than taking it into your own hands, what you have to do is look to the man in the stripes, the referee, right? You look to the referee and you say, ref, did you see that? Because the referee is the only one who has the authority, the authorized authority to carry out penalty and punishment, right? And I said, you should have done that. But here's the thing. Did you know in life that we have a man with the stripes? When you've been wrong, when you've been hurt, that you and I have a man with the stripes? Because Isaiah 53, the verse that Chris read, verse 5 says, By his stripes we're healed. Jesus Christ is a man with the stripes. And so when you've been 
hurt, when you've been taken advantage of, yes, report it to the police, report it to HR, but ultimately when you have those feelings of revenge, forgive that person and you look to the man with the stripes, Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I'm trusting you to take care of this situation. All of us in here have a man in the stripes, Jesus Christ. So again, the civil law retaliation is not a green light to seek personal vengeance. And now here's where Christ flips it. Here's why this sermon is difficult. Jesus says, if you really forgive that person, and if you really trust me, the one who has authority to carry out vengeance, this is what you will do as kingdom citizens. Look at verse, uh, go back to Matthew 5, verse 39. Matthew 5, 39. Matthew 5, 39. Matthew 5, 39. But I say to you, contrasting the Pharisees' interpretation of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth as a green light for vengeance, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Let me mention this before I go on. When he says don't resist an evil person, he is not saying be a doormat. Let people abuse you and take advantage of you. That's not what he's saying. Not at all. He's not saying be this passive doormat that gets abused by people and taken advantage of. What he's saying is when you get wronged, when you get uh, offended, when people take advantage of you, do not aggressively resist. Do not aggressively fight. Do not aggressively take action. Do not aggressively retaliate when you're being hurt and offended. So he's not saying be a doormat. Verse 39, second part. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to the other to him also. What he's saying is this. Four things we're going to look at that we have to sacrifice as kingdom citizens. If we really believe, just like God forgave us, we forgive our offenders, and we trust God to ultimately have vengeance. Four things we sacrifice as kingdom citizens. If you love Jesus Christ, and he is your king. The first one here is your dignity, your dignity. That's what he says. He says, in those days when you would slap somebody, if you're a right-hander, you would slap them with your open hand. And if you're going to slap their right cheek, you would do it with your backhand. And we still use that term today. A backhanded something, a backhanded compliment, or a backhanded diss. It means that someone is humiliating us. They're humiliating us when they slap you with the back of their hand. And I don't think he's advocating here for literally like be a punching bag. That's what he's talking about. He's saying when somebody humiliates you, makes you feel less than human, attacks your dignity. He says, not only do you give them one cheek, your left cheek, but also the right cheek as well. Allow them, sacrifice your dignity for a greater kingdom purpose. If you forgive them, and if you trust God to deal with them as a kingdom citizen to demonstrate grace towards them, he says, allow them to humiliate you. Getting very quiet in here. This is effective though. If you remember Dr. Martin Luther King, one of his primary things that he focused on in the civil rights movement was non-retaliation, non-violence. And so as they would peacefully protest and the police and soldiers would release tear gas and dogs on them. If you remember that one picture of that young African-American boy with a dog attacking him and he's just standing there, it moved people's hearts as rather than them retaliating, they took that. They were humiliated. Their dignity was attacked. And yet it moved people's hearts, saying, this is wrong. 
Remember several years ago, the CEO of Chick-fil-A came out and he made a stance on the biblical stance on marriage. And he said, this is what I believe about marriage. And he was attacked by all these groups and groups said, let's boycott Chick-fil-A, if you remember that. And there was a CEO or vice president of another company, I think in Silicon Valley, and he pulled up to a Chick-fil-A drive-thru and he ordered a water. He filmed it on his phone. And what he did was begin to humiliate the young lady working at the uh, drive-thru, if you remember that. He belittles her, calls her out, and says all this negative stuff. And he says, how can you work for a company like this? And if you remember the young lady's response, rather than fighting for her dignity, rather than cussing him out, she kept saying, I'm sorry you feel that way. How can I help you today? Is there anything else I can get for you? She was so kind to him, even though he belittled her and made fun of her. And what was the reaction? He got fired by his company, saying, we don't want to hire people like this. We don't employ people like this. And it was her stance of sacrificing her dignity. And I don't know where she is in her faith, but sacrificing her dignity that moved on the hearts of people. So he says here, as kingdom citizens, if you forgive that person, and if you trust God to deal with that person, he says, you can sacrifice your dignity. Second thing he says is this. Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Second thing is security, security. So we sacrifice our dignity. Second thing is security. In those days, uh, most people had an undershirt or undergarment, two or three shirts, but they had one coat. And so he says, if someone legitimately comes to you and says, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, you had me install some blinds in your home and you didn't pay and I'm taking you to court. And you're like, all right, you have legitimate means. As a kingdom citizen, not only say, hey, I'll give you the $1,000 for your blinds, I'll give you an extra $200 for some of the trouble I caused you. And he says, that's what you do. You're willing to get some of your security, if you have security in your finances. Because the coat in those days was not just a coat you wore on a cold Jerusalem winter. Your coat was also your comforter and your blanket. It was your security blanket. And so by saying to that person, Though you're suing me and trying to take me for everything, I'm willing to go the extra mile, which we're going to look at in a second, and even give you my security as well. Speaking of extra mile, he says this in verse, 42, uh, verse 41. Whoever forced you to go one mile, go with him too. Before the days of Federal Express or FedEx, UPS, what they would do in the Persian days was they set up an elaborate courier system in which people either on horseback or walking would deliver mail or packages. And the Romans took that as well. And what the Romans did was they would transport their weapons or mail and people would carry it. And if you, at the time when Rome was oppressing and, uh, uh, over uh, Israel, if you were a Jewish citizen, a Roman soldier could conscript you and tell you forcibly, hey, I'm taking these weapons, these knives and these swords to Jerusalem and I order you to take this backpack off of me and carry it. And by law, you were required to carry it for at least one mile. So for that time, either you're going to your friend's house or your uncle's house or to worship, you were conscripted by the Roman army to carry the mail or those weapons. But the law said you only had to go one mile out of your way. Only one mile. And so what Jesus says here is, even though you have the liberty, according to the law, after one mile to say, I'm done. Take your backpack. Take your mail. I'm done. I'm through. He says, be willing to sacrifice even your liberty, your rights towards liberty for the sake of being a gospel witness as a kingdom citizen. Go the extra mile. We still say that today. So if you have a boss who always takes credit for your work, 
And the boss says, I got a new project. Don't just go half-hearted and just do enough to get by. He says, go the extra mile. If he just says, hey, get these 10 sheets of paper and these 10 projects done, get 11, get 12 projects done. Get 12 new clients. Go the extra mile. Sacrifice your liberty. Verse 42. Give to him who asks you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So the last thing is property. Property. He's not saying every time you see someone of the need on the street corner asking for money that everyone you see you help. He's not saying everyone who comes to you to borrow money, give them money to borrow. But he said if there are people who've hurt you, who've taken advantage of you, one way that you can demonstrate that again, you forgive them and entrust them into God's hands, if they have a need, be willing to give up some of your property. Give them a loan. Give them a gift. If you really believe that as a kingdom citizen, be willing to sacrifice some of your property. And again, I'll reiterate this because I know this is a hard sermon that none of us want to hear. Is again, God is not calling us to be passive doormats that allow people to walk all over us and use us and abuse us. He's not saying that. So at work, if you're being taken advantage of, experiencing racism or bigotry and these things, report it to HR. Report it to the legitimate authority over you. If you're a victim of crime, report it to the police. Go to the courts. File a claim with insurance. Do all those things. But personally, personally, as a kingdom citizen, forgive that person because unforgiveness is the only prison that locks and unlocks from the inside. It only hurts you. And trust God for vengeance. Trust God for vengeance. Here's some examples. We've all remember perhaps on October 2nd of 2006, a dairy worker entered the Amish schoolhouse in West Nickel Mine School. And there, opening gun, uh, he opened with gunfire and he killed five of the students and injured five others. He eventually ended his own life. The police came to investigate and they found the schoolhouse, an old little wooden schoolhouse, riddled with bullets, blood, and broken wooden glass everywhere. They said it was a horrible crime scene. Now, what did the Amish do? They quickly, in a press conference, the next day, said, we forgive gunmen. We're hurting, of course. We love our sons and daughters. We're hurting. But unforgiveness and bitterness will only hurt us. We have been forgiven by God, and so we forgive the gunman. And they said, on top of that, we're going to do a fundraiser. This gunman leaves behind three children and a wife. So we're going to raise money so that these kids can go to college. So they raised money for a college fund for the gunman's children. The gunman's children. That's radical grace and love. Because they say, we forgive them, we trust God for the outcome, because of that we can do that. It's like Brant John, the brother of Botham John, at the sentencing for Amber Geiger. Brant John says, you know what, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, he forgave me, I forgive you, Amber Geiger, as a matter of fact, I want to give you a hug. It was a hug seen all around the world, and people were baffled and amazed that the brother of the person who killed both and John would extend arms of love. That's radical. But I know in this room, most likely we're never going to have school shootings and all those kinds of things. So let me give you some more practical in your driveway. All right? Examples. What do you do when your in-laws, for those of you who are married, when your in-laws become outlaws? What do you do when your mother-in-law, who you know has disdain for you, has either said it to your face, I think my son should have married somebody else. Your cooking is terrible. 
who's always getting on you about the way you raise your kids. I can't believe you let your kids do that. Thanksgiving's coming up. Christmas com is coming up. How are you going to interact with your in-laws who've now become outlaws? Will you say, God, forgive them. Uh, God, help me to forgive them. Or will you just go to your own separate room? Or will you engage with them and do good to them and be kind to them? <coughs> to your brother-in-law or father-in-law? What about your boss who's become a burden? Who harasses you? Who demeans you? Yes, you've reported him to HR. Yes, you've reported your manager to HR. But tomorrow when you go into work, can you say, God, I forgive him, I forgive her, and I trust you for the outcome? So help me be kind to him. Help me be kind to her. Help me volunteer for projects. Help me help them succeed. When someone commits a crime against you or your family, breaks into your house, breaks into your car, does something else, call the police. Call your lawyer, of course. Go to court. But can you still say, Lord, I forgive this person. I trust you for the outcome. How can I be kind to him? Kind to her? Is it writing a letter? When you find out where they are, what prison, just write them a letter saying, hey, you know what? You broke into our house. You did this to violate our family. But we forgive you. We forgive you. And you know what? The reason why I forgive you is because Jesus Christ forgiven us. Here's the gospel. We know that the only way you're going to change is Christ changing you from the inside out. And we love you enough to share the gospel with you. Can you have that kind of radical grace and love? When someone sues you, when someone takes you to court, can you show radical grace there as well as a kingdom citizen? I've counseled hundreds, hundreds of married couples and about to marry couples. Matter of fact, I'm doing a premarital counseling tonight for a couple getting married in December. And here's one thing I've seen. I can tell you one of the, the formulas for an unhappy marriage. If your marriage is a tit-for-tat marriage, if your marriage is an eye-for-an-eye -eye marriage, if your marriage is a tooth-for-tooth -tooth marriage, my wife leaves these dishes in the sink, I'm going to do this to get back at her. If my husband blocks a driver with his stupid car, I'm going to do this to get back at him. My husband's late for this appointment, I'm going to do this to get back at him. One thing I've seen is that never leads to a happy marriage. That never leads to what I would call a kingdom marriage. When your husband does this and the wife does this and the wife does this and the husband does that and you go back and forth tit for tat. You embarrass me at church, I'll embarrass you in community group. <laughs> tit for tat never works. So here's my question. Which of you all is going to be mature enough in Jesus to show grace when you've been hurt? Which of you all when, again, your car is blocked in the driveway or you're embarrassed at community group is going to say, you know what? I forgive my husband. I forgive my wife. And I'm going to show grace. In friendships, in relationships, it happens as well. I've never seen a friendship where friends go tit for tat, eye for an eye, where it leads to a thriving, growing friendship and relationship. Never seen it. So what are you going to do about that? When your pastor suddenly and surprisingly resigns, you're hurt, you're shocked, you're bothered by that, can you extend that former pastor grace and blessing?
Because you say, I forgive them. And are you looking to the man with the stripes to vindicate you? And normally I close with some kind of story or illustration to inspire us and to move us. But here's the thing. We've all heard this cliche, hurt people hurt people. Amen? When someone's acting in a very abusive way or a very wounded way, we say hurt people hurt people. What this text teaches us is this. Hurt people don't have to hurt people. Graced people, grace people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Blessed people, bless people. Here's the thing. You and I do more in one hour to offend God than most of our enemies and offenders will do in a lifetime. And yet God is gracious and kind to us. So I want to say away with that notion in your mind if you believe it that hurt people hurt people. But Pastor Ricky, you don't know how bad I've been hurt. And Jesus will say to you, okay, you are hurt. God is near to the brokenhearted. God is able to restore your soul. He's able to do that. Forgive the offender. If you need to call the police, call the police. Do all the things you need to do on a civil side. But forgive the offender. And trust me for vengeance. Trust me to work those things out. So I want to close with this. I'm going to read Psalm, I mean Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. That's all I'm going to do. Isaiah 53. The posture of Jesus Christ. If there is anyone who had a right to dignity, a right to liberty, a right to property. It was Jesus. He was God in the flesh. One who never did anything wrong. And this is what it says. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. My God. He was despised and we did not care. My God, my God. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped with stripes so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Listen to this, y'all. Close your eyes and listen to this. Verse 8, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, 
he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. Praise God. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. God, we thank you now that Jesus Christ gave up liberty, security, dignity, and property. He came down and took the form of a human. Perfectly innocent, perfectly sinless. And yet the Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God without blemish gave His life. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was spat on. And like a sheep to the shears, to the sheep to the slaughter, He was silent. God, we live in a world fighting for our rights. Our rights to property, liberty, dignity, security. But God, you say to us, if we trust you, that you're a God who's a just God, who's in control, to leave room for the wrath of God, and if we forgive those who've hurt us and offended us, no matter how great the hurt, that kingdom citizens, as followers, as radical lovers and followers of Jesus, that we would demonstrate grace, that we would show grace. We would turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give up our coat and our security as kingdom citizens and witnesses. God, we cannot do that in our flesh. Our own flesh wants payback, wants people to feel our pain and hurt, wants people to suffer. God, that's why we enjoy revenge movies because the offender suffers but God as kingdom citizens again we ask that you help us to forgive those who've hurt us and to trust you to leave room for your wrath and empowered by your spirit God that we would show grace just like you show us grace just like you show us love even before we came to know you even while we were still your enemies you lavished us with grace, God. Help us to do that. To a world that is lacking grace, to a dying world, may they see Christ in and through us. May they see your grace in and through us. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today, I know our prayer team's not here because of COVID. Uh, if you say, you know what, I'm going into a very toxic work environment tomorrow. I'm dealing with things in my life right now where I want vengeance. My flesh is saying payback. But I realize today that God is saying something totally different. I didn't want to hear this sermon. If you're here today and that's you, and you say, God, help me to be gracious to those I've forgiven. Help me to trust you. Would you stand right you are, right where you are? Just heads bowed, eyes closed, and I'll, I want to pray for you again because our team is not up here. So you're that person today. Right where you are, just stand. If you have the boldness to stand, right where you are. And I love to pray for you. Thank you for standing. I see that. Thank you for standing over here. To my left. 
Let's pray. God, and we pray for these who are standing today. God, perhaps they're going in a very toxic work environment tomorrow. Perhaps they have a boss that ridicules them. God, maybe it's their in-laws and their families that they cannot stand. God, I pray that you help them supernaturally to forgive. Forgiveness is a process. Moment by moment, if there's memories that get triggered, help them to forgive the offender and to trust you, God, the man with the stripes. And in so doing, God, help them, God, supernaturally through the empowerment of your spirit, the spirit of Christ, to be gracious, to be kind, to be willing to sacrifice their security and dignity, property, for the sake of being a kingdom witness and being good and kind to those who've hurt us. Thank you, Master, for the model, Jesus Christ, in Isaiah 53. But he's also the means by which we're able to do good and be kind to those who've hurt us. So God, if there's anyone here today who has heard your word and knows that there are people who've hurt him, hurt her, this message is impossible apart from Jesus Christ. So God, I pray today that they place their faith in Christ alone. They have yet to put their faith in Christ. This is a message, this is a lesson, an application that they cannot do apart from the work of the Spirit in their lives. So we ask that and beg you, God, to do that. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.